Welcome to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Showboat, the classic story from Edna Ferber that inspired one of the greatest American musicals. This is the eighth book in our podcast series, Marilyn Lightstone Reads, featuring the acclaimed Canadian actress, artist, television, and radio host, Marilyn Lightstone. You can find the entire series online at classicalfm.ca or through your favorite podcast app. Now, let's turn to Marilyn as she reads Edna Ferber's Showboat. Chapter 12 Thebes! echoed Parthenia and Hawks, widow. The stiff crepe of her weeds seemed to bristle. I'll do nothing of the kind, miss. If you and that fine husband of yours think to rid yourself of me that way... Oh, but, Mama, we're not trying to rid ourselves of you. How can you think of such things? You've always said you hated the boat, always. And now that Papa... Well, now that you needn't stay with the show any longer, I thought you'd want to go back to Thebes to live. Oh, indeed. And what's to become of the cotton blossom? Tell me that, Maggie Hawks. I don't know, confessed Magnolia miserably. I don't... I don't know. That's what I think we ought to talk about. The cotton blossom, after her tragic encounter with the hidden snag in the Mississippi, was in for repairs. The damage to the showboat had been greater than they had thought. The snag had, after all, inflicted a jagged wound. So, too, had it torn and wounded something deep and hidden in Magnolia's soul. Suddenly, she had a horror of the great river, whose treacherous secret fangs had struck so poisonously. The sight of the yellow turbid flood sickened her, yet held her hypnotized. Now she thought that she must run from it, with her husband and her child, to safety. Now she knew that she never could be content away from it. She wanted to flee. She longed to stay. This, if ever, was her chance. But the river had Captain Andy. Somewhere in its secret coils he lay. She could not leave him. On the rivers the three great mysteries, love and birth and death, had been revealed to her. All that she had known of happiness and tragedy and tranquility and adventure and romance and fulfillment was bound up in the rivers. Their willow fringe banks framed her world. The motley figures that went up and down upon them, or that dwelt on their shores, were her people. She knew them, was of them. The Mississippi had her as surely as it had little Andy Hawks. Well, we're talking about it, ain't we? Mrs. Hawks now demanded. I mean, the repairs are going to be quite expensive. She'll be laid up for a month or more right in the season. Now's the time to decide whether we're going to try to run her ourselves, just as if Papa were still... I can see you've been talking over things pretty hard and fast with Ravenall. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do, miss. We're going to run her ourselves. Leastways, I am. But, Mama, your pa left no will. Hawks all over. I've as much say so as you have. More. I'm his widow. You won't see me willing to throw away the goodwill of a business that it's taken years to build up. The boat's insurance will take care of the repairs. Your pa's life insurance is paid up, and quite a decent sum for him. I saw to that. You'll get your share. 
I'll get mine. The boat goes on like it always has. No thieves for me. And you'll go on playing ingenue leads, Ravenel Duvenal. Kim, no, cried Magnolia, much as Parthy had ears before. Not Kim. And why not? There was about the Widow Hawks a terrifying and invincible energy. Her black habiliments of woe billowed about her like the sable wings of a destroying angel. With Captain Andy gone, she would appoint herself commander of the Cotton Blossom Floating Palace Theatre. Magnolia knew that. Who, knowing Parthy, could imagine it otherwise? She would appoint herself commander of their lives. Well, Magnolia was no weakling. She was a woman of metal. But no metal could withstand the sledgehammer blows of Parthy and Hawk's iron. It was impossible that such an arrangement could hold. From the first, Ravenel had rejected it. But Magnolia's pleadings for at least a trial won him over. But grudgingly, it won't work, Nola, I tell you. We'll be at each other's throats. She's got all kinds of plans. I can see them whirling around in her eye. Oh, but you will try to be patient, won't you, Gay? For my sake and Kim's. But they had not been out a week before mutiny struck the cotton blossom. The first to go was Windy. Once his great feet were set toward the gangplank, there was no stopping him. He was over seventy now, but he looked not an hour older than when he had come aboard the Cotton Blossom almost fifteen years before. To the irate widow he spoke briefly, but with finality. "'You're a hawk's widow. That's why I said I'd take her same's if Andy was alive. I thought Nolly's husband would boss this boat, but seems you're running it. "'Well, ma'am, I ain't no petticoat pilot.' I'm off the end of this trip down. Young Tanner'll come aboard there and pilot you. Tanner, who's he? How'd you know I'd want him? I'm running this boat. You better take him, Mrs. Hawks, ma'am. He's young and not set in his ways, and likely won't mind your nagging. Well, I'm too old. Lost my taste for the rivers, anyway, since Cap went. Lost my nerve, too, seems like. Well, ma'am... I'm going. And he went. Changes came then, tripping on each other's heels. Miss Means stayed, and little weak-chested Mr. Means. Frank had gone after Magnolia's marriage. Ralph left. Parthy met these difficulties and defeats with magnificent generalship. She seemed actually to thrive on them. Do this, do that. Ravenel's right eyebrow was cocked in a perpetual circumflex of disdain. One could feel the impact of opposition whenever the two came together. Every fiber of Ravenel's silent, secretive nature was taut in rejection of this managerial mother-in-law. Every nerve and muscle of that energetic female's frame tingled with enmity towards this suave, soft-spoken, contemptuous husband of her daughter. Finally. Choose, said Gaylord Ravenel, between your mother and me. Magnolia chose. Her decision met with such terrific opposition from Parthy as would have shaken any woman less determined and less in love. Where are you going with that fine husband of yours? Tell me that. I don't know. I'll warrant you don't. 
No more does he. Why are you going? You've got a good home on the boat. Kim, school, oh, fiddlesticks. Magnolia took the plunge. We're not, I'm not, Gay's not happy anymore on the rivers. You'll be a sight unhappier on land before you're through. Make no mistake about that, young lady. And where'll you go? Chicago, hmm? What'll you do there? Starve and worse. I know. Many's the time you'll wish yourself back here. Magnolia, nervous, apprehensive, torn, now burst into sudden rebellion against the iron hand that had gripped her all these years. How do you know? How can you be so sure? And even if you are right, what of it? You're always trying to keep people from doing the things they want to do. You're always wanting people to live cautiously. You fought to keep Papa from buying the cotton blossom in the first place and made his life a hell. And now you won't leave it. You didn't want me to act. You didn't want me to marry Gay. You didn't want me to have Kim. Maybe you were right. Maybe I shouldn't have done any of those things. But how do you know? You can't twist people's lives around like that, even if you twist them right. Because how do you know that even when you're right, you mayn't be wrong? If Papa had listened to you, we'd be living in Thebes. He'd be alive, probably. I'd be married to the butcher, maybe. You can't do it. Even God lets people have their own way, though they have to fall down and break their necks to find out they were wrong. You can't do it, and you're glad when it turns out badly. She was growing incoherent. Back of Parthi's opposition to their going was a deep relief of which even she was unaware, and whose existence she would have denied had she been informed of it. Her business talent so long dormant, was leaping into life. Her energy was cataclysmic. One would almost have said she was happy. She discharged actors' crew, engaged actors' crew, ordered supplies, spoke of shifting to an entirely new territory the following year, perhaps to the rivers of North Carolina and Maryland. She actually did this, though not until much later. Magnolia, Years afterwards, reading her mother's terse and maddening letters would be seized with a nostalgia not for the writer, but for the lovely-sounding places of which she wrote, though they probably were as barren and unpicturesque as the river towns of the Mississippi and Ohio and Big Sandy and Kanawha. We're playing the town of Bath on the Pimlico River, Parthy's letter would say, or we had a good week at Queenstown on the Sassafras. Magnolia, looking out into the gray Chicago streets, slippery with black ice, thick with the Lake Michigan fog, would repeat the names over to herself. Bath on the Pimlico, Queenstown on the Sassafras. Mrs. Hawkes, at parting, was all for Magnolia's retaining her financial share in the cotton blossom, the money accruing therefrom to be paid at regular intervals. In this she was right. She knew Ravenel. In her hard and managing way, she loved her daughter, wished to ensure her best interests. But Magnolia and Ravenel preferred to sell their share outright if she would buy. Ravenel would probably invest it in some business, Magnolia said. Yes, monkey business, retorted Mrs. Hawkes, then added earnestly, 
Now mind, don't you come sniveling to me when it's gone and you and your child haven't a penny to bless yourselves with. For that's what it'll come to in the end. Mark my words. I don't say I wouldn't be happy to see you and Kim back, but not him. When he's run through every penny of your money, he needn't look to me for more. You can come back to the boat. You and Kim. I'll look for you. But him? Never. The two women faced each other, and they were no longer mother and daughter, but two forces opposing each other with all the strength that lay in the deep and powerful nature of both. Magnolia made one of those fine speeches. I wouldn't come to you for help, not if I were starving to death, and Kim too. Oh, there's worse things than starving to death. I wouldn't come to you no matter what. You will, just the same. I take my oath on that. I never will. Secretly, she was filled with terror at leaving the rivers, for the rivers and the little inaccessible river towns and the indolent and naive people of those towns whose very presence in them confessed them failures had, with the years taken on in Magnolia's eyes, the friendly aspect of the accustomed. Here was comfort assured. Here were friends. Here the ease that goes with familiarity. Even her mother's bristling generalship had in it a protective quality. The very showboat was a second mother, shielding her from the problems and cares that beset the land-dweller. The cotton blossom had been a little world in itself on which life was a thing detached, dreamlike, narcotic. As Magnolia Ravenel, with her husband and her child, turned from this existence of ease to the outside world of which she had already had one bitter taste, she was beset by hordes of fears and doubts. Yet opposing these, and all but vanquishing them, was the strong love of adventure, the eager curiosity about the unknown which had always characterized her and her dead father, the little captain, and caused them both to triumph thus far over the clutching, cautious admonitions of Parthenia and Hawks. Fright and anticipation, nostalgia and curiosity, a soaring sense of freedom at leaving her mother's too protective wing, a pang of compunction that she should feel this unfilial surge of relief. They were going. You saw the three of them scrambling up the steep river bank to the levee, perhaps for the last time, Magnolia thought with a great pang. And within herself a voice cried, No, no. Ravenel, slim, cool, contained. Magnolia, whiter than usual, and frankly tearful. The child, Kim, waving an insouciant farewell with both small fists. They carried no bundles, no parcels, no valises. Ravenel disdained to carry parcels. He did not permit those of his party to carry them. Two men in tattered and faded blue overalls made much of the luggage, stowing it inefficiently under the seats and over the floor of the livery rig, which had been hired to take the three to the nearest railway station, a good twelve miles distant. The Cotton Blossom troop was grouped on the forward deck to see them off. The Cotton Blossom lay, smug, safe, plump, at the water's edge. 
A passing side-wheeler, flopping ponderously downstream, sent little flirty waves across the calm waters to her and set her to palpitating coyly. Goodbye! Goodbye! Right now! Miss Mean's face distorted in a ridiculous pucker of woe. Ravenall in the front seat with the driver. Magnolia and Kim in the back seat with the luggage protruding at uncomfortable angles all about them. Parthenia Ann Hawks, the better to see them, had stationed herself on the little protruding upper deck forward, the deck that resembled a balcony, much like that on the old cotton blossom. The livery nag started with a lurch up the dusty village street. They clattered across a bridge toward the upper road. Magnolia turned for a last glimpse through her tears. There stood Parthenia Ann Hawks, silhouetted against sky and water, a massive and almost menacing figure in her robes of black, tall, erect, indomitable. Her face was set. The keen eyes gazed, unblinking, across the sunlit waters. One arm was raised in a gesture of farewell. Ruthless, unconquerable, headstrong, untamed, terrible. She's like the river, Magnolia thought through her grief in a sudden flash of vision. She's the one, after all, who's like the Mississippi. A bend in the upper road, a clump of sycamores, the river, the showboat, the silent black-robed figure were lost to view. Thanks for listening to Marilyn Lightstone Reads Showboat. This episode was produced by Justin Eacock, executive producer Moses Nimer. This is the eighth book in our Marilyn Lightstone Reads podcast series. Other readings include Anne of Green Gables, The Age of Innocence, Pride and Prejudice, and The Woman in White. You can also help support this podcast by recommending it to your friends and leaving a five-star review in your preferred podcast store. And while you're there, look for a variety of other quality podcasts proudly presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.